Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. My sins, your sins, though they're condemnable, who already paid for it? Jesus was condemned, right? He died. That's condemnation. You paid with the penalty of death. You were condemned to death for our sins, so it's paid for already. And now he makes intercession for us. So I don't have to be condemned. Jesus was condemned for me. I don't have to walk in condemnation. Jesus took the condemnation for me. I can go free. I can be forgiven. I can be washed. I can be cleansed. I can walk in newness. So many of us as Christians experience feelings of condemnation throughout life. But Pastor Bill explains today that this condemnation does not come from God, but from Satan. And scripture makes it clear that Satan doesn't actually have any power to condemn us, even though he may point to our sins and he may say things that are true. Christ's sacrifice has freed us from any condemnation. Now we live in the love of God and nothing from our past, present, or future can separate us from that. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The biggest need everybody has is the need to have your sins forgiven. We need our sins forgiven. We, we, we were going to hell without Jesus. We, that's my biggest need and your biggest need, that my sins could be washed away. And God said, I took care of that for you. Even before you came looking for me, I took care of that for you. And so how could I complain against him for anything? I need to be the most thankful individual in the world that God has done that for me. I'm so glad that I'm part of the minority that's going to heaven. Because you guys know the Bible says that the, the road is wide and there are many people on it that leads to destruction. But it says the road that leads to life is narrow and few are on it, but it's the way that leads to life. So I'm, I'm, I praise God that I'm on that, that, that God found me where I was and reached out to me. We should be a thankful group. That's why we get together corporately and we worship together because we ought to be a real thankful group of folks that have been touched by God. Amen. And so moving on here, verse Verse 33, another question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And so here he says, look, who, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Those that God has chosen, those that God has elected to be his own. God says, who can bring a charge against you? Now, who does the Bible tell us is bringing charges and accusations against believers? The devil. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. And so as Satan is going and making accusations and some of the stuff is true. Everybody here, think about the last thing you did that you should not have did. Last sin you committed. Some of y'all don't have to think back very far. Some of you, it was, it was today, it was this morning, it was, it was on the way here. Some of y'all did it when you got here. Think back to the last thing God said, and, and Satan can legitimately go and say, look at, Bill did that. He did that. He did it. I did do it. I, I did it. He's telling the truth. But God said, who can, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Because as he brings that charge, right, I, I, got, I got the bomb attorney. I got an advocate standing in for me. And if you're writing notes, you can write down Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And it says this. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It says that Jesus is living to make intercession for me. So a Satan is coming to him. He did that. Jesus is there saying, it's covered, it's covered. Because just make an intercession for me nonstop, covered, covered. Some of y'all working him out though, but he's, he, we're covered. You know, it, it's, it's, 
That's the position that God has put us in that our sins past, present, future, been dealt with. Now, does that make you want to go out and act a fool? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. That's not the result that it should bring, right? It shouldn't have me in a place where I'm like, well, that's the case. It's a a holiday weekend. I'm going to go holiday then. That's not what it's supposed to do. It shouldn't put you in a place where you just say, it should cause us to be thankful. It should cause us to be those that are saying, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that does what? That brings us to repentance. When I meditate on the fact that God is good to me, even when I'm bad to him, God said that, that really should bring me to a place not of wanting to sin more. It should bring me to a place of wanting to repent. So once again, that's question number four. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. Who can bring a charge against those? That, nobody can. Because there's, a, there's an intercessor up there making, making, making intercession for us nonstop. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? Question number five, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So now it says, who is he who condemns? This is something that everybody deals with. Now, we know that Satan condemns. And I want to explain the difference between condemnation and conviction, because they both they affect us in a different way. Condemnation is just kind of it's, it's, it's open ended, just guilt. Condemnation says you did that. You shouldn't have did that. You, you shouldn't. Even, you know, condemnation is how you quit. I can, you can't believe you did. You did that this weekend. You shouldn't. Even, you better not even show your face at church. How dare you walk in the church after you did that? You know, how dare you pray? You better close your Bible. You know, just condemnation. Just say, don't even look to God. You, you're dirty. You filthy. You're a mess. Just go away. Just quit already. You, you can't do it. That's what condemnation. That's what comes from the enemy. It might come out of yourself and it can come from some people. But understand that condemnation doesn't ever turn upward. Condemnation will cause you to walk away from the Lord. It'll cause you to go backward further, which is why the enemy condemns people. He wants you to quit. Anybody ever play sports and, you know, people that talk trash? That's the goal of a trash talker. I want to talk you. I want to talk so much trash that you start doubting yourself. So, if, 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 you know, I'm a better trash talker than I'm a player in some sports. And it's pretty effective. You know, you get some guys at a couple bad plays. You just you bring it out. And they're like, I, maybe I can't go. Maybe I can't go to my left again. You know, maybe maybe I shouldn't shoot that. You know, I, you start shooting again, shoot it again. You know, they won't shoot it again because you just in their head and they start doubting themselves. They just they don't they just they start. You see them just dissipate. They fall away. They're better than that. But you talk them out of it, right? That's what the enemy does through condemnation, right? He just talks you out of even going any further. I'm not even going. I, I know I was, I know when I was doing really good with God, he was really calling me to serve him like this. But now I'm just so far back over here. I just, maybe I'm just, I'm just going to go to church sometimes. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go no further. So understand, that's condemnation. And you, you don't want to get stuck in that, right? Conviction is different. It's a lot different. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is from God. Conviction of how you understand that you shouldn't have done that. And this is what you need to do about that. Conviction to have you very uncomfortable in sin. Uncomfortable with the idea of continuing in sin. But the goal of conviction is to get you to repent. So what conviction will do is cause you to, man, I, I'm sick. Or I hate that I did that again. God, help me. Conviction will cause you to look to God to help you to stop doing what you've been doing so God can help you because he wants to help you anyway. And eventually, conviction will bring you to a place of repentance and you'll be walking in victory. That's the goal of conviction. It's, it's upward. It's moving forward. Conviction doesn't leave you stuck. It's not just to make you feel bad, right? And this is what happens in the church. Somebody, you know, let's say I, I do a sin. You, you name a sin, I did it. And somebody comes and say, Pastor Bill, uh, you did that particular sin. Don't be condemning me. 
You know, that's what people do at church. Don't judge me. Don't be bringing condemnation against me. That's not that's not what if someone's bringing you the word of God because the word of God brings conviction. And there's something about your life and the word that aren't parallel and aren't lining up. Right. I got to receive that. I want to experience. I want conviction to have its perfect work. So when someone says, man, Bill, you did this, but the word says this. Oh, I feel convicted about God. I'm going to ask God to help me with that. Now, conviction moves me to repentance, brings me into victory. That's how that works. For some of us, conviction just happens on the inside. It's the Holy Spirit living inside you saying, I didn't want to go there. Don't go there. Don't do that. Put that down. And you just keep going anywhere. The Holy Spirit's convicting you to bring you to a place where you would, God, help me to stop this. Help me to turn away from this. Sometimes it's after the fact. You done, you done stomped all over the will of God and got yourself into trouble and the Holy Spirit's there and you're miserable. Believers will be miserable in sin. You, you never enjoy sin like when you weren't saved. When I wasn't saved over here and I sinned, I didn't feel anything. I actually felt good about it. As long as there was no consequences, no, no immediate ramifications, I, I kind of felt pretty good about it. Then I get saved. And now I'm just, I feel bad that I still think the same way. I'm like, God's wrong in my mind. Am I really even saved? I still think the wrong dumb thoughts. And it, that, now I'm convicted against my thought like, let me go mess up. And I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I remember doing, doing the old stuff in the new man. And it was like, I hate it. And I'm begging God to forgive me. Please help me, God, forgive me. I don't want to do it no more. I, I, I won't hang out with them ever again. I mean, you just, you just start bringing all the transformation. And that's the Holy Spirit saying, you're never going to enjoy sin the same. You might as well walk away from it now. You're never going to enjoy it the same way again anyway. And so condemnation, who is he who condemns? The enemy condemns. People condemn. But God says, look, it is Christ who died and furthermore is risen and even is at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. And this is what we got to get from that verse, right? My sins, your sins, though they're condemnable, who already paid for it? Jesus was condemned, right? He died. That's condemnation. You paid with the penalty of death. You were condemned to death for our sins. So it's paid for already. And now he makes intercession for us. So I don't have to be condemned. Jesus was condemned for me. I don't have to walk in condemnation. Jesus took the condemnation for me. I can go free. I can be forgiven. I can be washed. I can be cleansed. I can walk in newness. And that's just set believers free, right? They, you shouldn't get stuck in a mode of just, just wallowing in the last failure when God has forgiven you. When God has said there's no condemnation in verse, the first verse of this very chapter. And so moving on now, verse 35. It says, who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. And he goes down this list. And I'm going to read this chunk and I'm going to come back up. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I would circle our Lord. Let me go back up real quick. And I want to point out several things in this. First of all, now he closes off this, this wonderful section of scripture saying, I want you guys to understand the depth of my love for you. Who can separate you from the love of God? He says, who can and it's a rhetorical question. Nobody can separate you from his love. Nobody can get in the way of God and his love for you. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can get in the way. But he says, you know what? Just so you know it, I'm going to throw out some things. 
that often get in the way in people's minds. I'm going to throw out some things. And so he says, who shall separate you? He says, can tribulation separate you from my love? No, can't. Distress or persecution, famine or nakedness, peril or sword. And let me tell you how it works out in people's lives. There are people who feel like in a time of persecution, tribulation, peril, that God's not loving them. God says, those things don't separate you from my love. Right. He's already demonstrated that I've shown you that I love you at the cross. Right. Those things don't separate you from my love. Don't buy that. And I went through scripture and I looked at some of these different things and just just rehearsed in my own mind. People that went through stuff. Right. That it didn't separate them from God's love. It actually it actually in time put God's love on display in their life as well. There are people that God loved that he let go through these things, tribulation and distress and persecution and famine. So when I think of tribulation and difficult things, I think of Joseph, that Joseph went through it. Joseph was hated by his brothers because of his dream that God gave him. Right. God gave him a dream. He's a little kid, all excited by the dream God gave him. He tells his big brothers and they hate him for it. And they hate him so bad they want to kill him. So they, they hate him so much they couldn't even speak well of him. They throw him in a hole. They sold him into slavery and boom, boom, boom. There goes Joseph's life. Was that because God didn't love him? No. God had a plan for Joseph. You got to get there, though. You got to get there. You got to get to the end of, you got to get to Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph is aware. He said, man, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people alive today. I'm good. God loved me, even all the way through that. And so maybe you're being, maybe you're going through tribulation or difficulty that you would know that God still loves me in the midst of my difficulty. That this, 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 one separate, this doesn't separate me from the love of God. I'm not going through this because God doesn't love me. Nothing can separate me from his love. Even when I'm going through this, God's here loving me in the midst of it. He's present with me in the midst of it. Remember Joseph. Distress. A persecution. I think of Paul. If you're writing notes, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 to 28. And if you ever wake up and you feel like a complaining, you feel like you're having a tough day, this is a great place to go to get your just to get just to get straightened out real quick. If you're having a pity party and you feel like this, this all came in, life is so hard right now. Go read 2 Corinthians 11, 22 to 28, what Paul went through and then look at what you're going through and see how bad you really feel. So I'm going to read this to you real quick. 2 Corinthians 11, 22. Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and labors more abundant in stripes. That's being whipped on the bat. Thirty nine stripes above measure in prisons frequently in deaths. Often from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. What comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul said, I've been through some things. And I read that list and Paul says, look, I've been through that now. Paul's the same one that wrote that, wrote this. Nothing separate me from the love of God. Those things didn't happen to Paul because God didn't love him. As God was using him, right? And we learned it in the previous study, but in Romans 8, 18, Paul says, I, I consider the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says, look, I know I'm going through it right now, but this doesn't even compare with the glory that's going to be revealed. So I'm going through it, but we know that we're rewarded. So when you live a life for Christ like that and you endure these things for Christ, Paul says, I get rewarded for this later on. I'm looking toward heaven. I'm, look, I'm looking beyond this place. So these things don't separate us from the love of God. So we want to be careful not to think when we're under distress or under persecution or in famine or difficulty. And when you think of famine, most of us have never experienced famine. Famine is not having what you need. So maybe you've been broke. Maybe you have. Maybe you said, you don't know, I've been in famine. So maybe you have. So Paul's, I was in famine for him. That means I didn't have food, right? Most of us, when we broke, Somebody will break you off. You get some Mickey D's or something. You know, if you're in here, you're hungry. You need to come talk to us. We'll take care of you. But, you know, Paul said, I was in famine. And that wasn't because God didn't love him. Nothing, nothing separate. In every condition, I was loved by God. I'm loved when I'm hungry. I'm loved when I'm persecuted. I'm loved in perils. I'm loved when other people hate me. God loves me. And we need to get that in our heart and get that in our spirit that nothing separates me from the love of God. Moving on. Verse 36 is a quotation from Psalm 44, 22, when he says, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37 says, for we are yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And uh, real quickly, what that means is this. I'm not just a conqueror. Right. God says in all these things, I, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's through Christ that we have our victory. It's through Christ that we conquer these things, that we overcome these things. It's through him, in him, that we're more than a conqueror. It would be enough if he says, hey, through all these things, we're conquerors. But he said, no, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's emphatic. God said, if you just keep your eyes on Christ, you have the victory over all these things, over tribulations, over peril, over difficulties. You'll see as you get going that God was working out great things. What happens at the end of the, the, the time Joseph goes through his long stretch of trial, then God says, I was doing all that to make you into the kind of man that could be over everything. And he did that in Joseph's life. Daniel, parents are taken away in the Babylonian captivity and he's taken away as one of the young guys and goes through this training and God says, man, I, was, I, was, I know that's all difficult what happened to you, Daniel, but I was preparing you to do a great thing for me. You're going to be a world changer, right? Esther, Parents taken away, raised by this uncle figure, Mordecai. He takes care of you, raises you up. Beautiful. All these things, no fault of your own. And the king kicked out his wife and you get put through the pageant. And all these different things happen in her life. Why? God, I'm through this woman, this pretty woman. I'm going to save the entire Jewish nation at her period in history. You've been through some things, Esther. And it wasn't the, the type of life maybe you wanted. I'm sure you would have liked to have a mom and all these different things. But I got a plan. I'm doing something great through this. And so if you can see God in your difficulty, right? That's why we need to be in our Bibles. That when I go through my difficulties, I can look and say, wow, other people that love God went through difficulties and it always worked out. There was always something. God, if God let something bad happen to me, we learned this last time. All things are working together for what? For the good of those that love God. I got to believe that. And I got to live like I believe that. And I, I, I especially live like I believe that when something bad happens. It's all working together for the good. So I'm just keep looking to the Lord and keep walking with him. Last two verses, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. So I'm not separated from his love at death. Death is how I enter into his presence. I'm not separated from his love through life. Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Again, I got Christ on both sides of the equation. I got to walk with him here. I can go be with him through death. Those don't separate me from his love, nor, nor angels, 
nor principalities. Now he's talking about the spiritual realm. There isn't anything in the spiritual realm that can come in and separate me from his love, not angels. When he talks about principalities, I believe he's talking about the, the lower end of the, the angelic realm, the fallen angelic realm. Demons can't separate me from God's love. There isn't anything in the unseen realm that can come in and, and, and mess up the love of God for me. God said, that, is, that, is, that won't interrupt my love for you. Principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing present, nothing to come that's going to separate you. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. That, 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 that's a long list. No, no created thing is going to be able to separate you from my love, he says. Shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God said, as you end this chapter of Romans chapter 8, God says it's emphatic. He said it in so many ways. I want you to know I love you. God loves us. Right. The question is never his love for us, but the question is rather are do we love him? Are we responding to his love in the right way? What's the proper response to the love of God? You guys, how are we to respond to that? How do we respond to so great a love? This is how we're supposed to respond through a submitted life. Right. God says, look, I love you. I've, I've demonstrated my love for you. I've been emphatic about letting you know the depth of my love for you, my care, my concern, how there's nothing that will separate you from my love. You can't mess up enough. For God to stop loving you. Right. And this is the, the last thing I'm going to share. Probably my favorite story. It illustrates the love of God. It's the story of Hosea. And God told the prophet Hosea, I want you to go and marry uh, for a wife. Told him to go marry a harlot. Don't nobody go marry a harlot. That's a hooker or a prostitute for a wife. But God told Hosea, I want you to go marry a, a harlot for a wife. And God was using this to make an illustration. And so he went out and found Gomer. And he married her. That was the, the, the harlot that he brought in. He married her. And they got married and they started making kids. And as you look at the names of the kids, it's interesting. The second kid, it was questionable whether or not it was his. The third kid was definitely not his. So not only he married someone unfavorable to begin with, now in the course of the marriage, she's been unfaithful. Then after the third kid that wasn't even his, it says that she left him and went back to her harlotry. This is in Hosea chapters one and two. And so in chapter three, God tells Hosea, he says, now go again and love a woman who is being loved by a lover, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. God says, now I want you to go get her back. Now she, she, she was unfaithful. You picked a bad pick. She was unfaithful when you picked her. Now she's out there doing it again. And he says, now go back and get her. And, and, and Hosea had to go buy his own wife. He had to go purchase his own wife and bring her back. God says, just like the way I love you, this is what you want to get from this. When God picked you, there was nothing great about you. I know some of y'all have a hard time with that, but it was nothing great about you or me. God didn't look and say, man, Bill, he really going, I got to have that one. There was nothing great about none of us when he picked us. We were a mess, but he picked us, you guys. He chose us just because of, because of who he is. Now, since he's picked you, how faithful have you been? I know I haven't been completely faithful. I know God know I line right up with the story. I can't say since he picked me. Oh, man, I've been a faithful. No, I haven't. I've messed up. I've blown it. Right. And he said, then I, he came back and purchased you. I paid for it. Top dollar. Now, she was actually cheap when he bought her back. It says that she was kind of run down, but he bought her anyway. He saw value in something that was invaluable to other people. He purchased her back. And God said, that's how I love you. And I read that story. And I think in a human sense, what man would marry a harlot? None. After she was unfaithful one time, two times, who would even want her? Not most of you. And she's back on the block doing what she was doing. Nobody would go back. But God said, that's how my love is different. I don't love like y'all love. 
My love for you is not based on how well you're doing or how you respond or how you perform. I love you, period. Just like the love of the Lord for you guys, for the children of Israel he spoke about then. But he loves you and I the same way. And so we want to just respond appropriately to the love of God. The proper response to the love of God is that we would repent of sin and turn towards him. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Bovington and A Transforming Word. We know you didn't have to come today. You could have turned off this message and moved on to the news or to a talk show, but you chose to stay. You chose to invest your time in learning more about the Word of God with us. In this series, Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Romans. In Romans 8, 6, we read, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You didn't have to stay today, but it might be the best decision you could have made. On the news, you could have encountered plenty of death, but here we're able to set our minds on the spirit together, discovering the life and peace that he brings. And we have more opportunities for you to set your mind on the spirit. Why wait for the next edition of A Transforming Word? On our website, you'll find a daily Bible reading plan, links to our YouTube channel and our mobile app. You'll have hundreds of messages available to you at the touch of a finger. You'll also find ways to join in the work with us through giving and prayer. Our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. But there are other ways to find us too. We're on Instagram and Facebook. What better way to move your mind to the Spirit than to bring Him into your social media? As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. Oh yeah, and don't forget to come back here next time for a transforming word to transform your life.